Let's start with a word of prayer, shall we? Gracious Father, thank you for uh, your amazing grace that saved us, that gave us hope, and that has given us instruction. Lord, we're thankful for your word um, and how powerful it is and um, to do everything that you want to accomplish in our lives. Lord, I pray that even as we reflect on the way we interpret scripture, um, it will be an encouragement to us. Uh, it will give us confidence as we go about um, reading your word and applying it to our hearts. Thank you for um, men of God that has gone ahead of, uh, have gone ahead of us, that spend time um, studying these principles and um, really trying to get to the um, authorial intent. What was the intent of the altars? Lord, I pray that you would bless our time together. Uh, keep us from distraction in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you have your book, I might be referring to page so-and-so, and so you can follow along. Um, and so, I mean, think about situations here. Uh, you lead a Bible study that is attended by a few friends, and you've gotten to the habit of beginning each session. I mean, I hope this is not you. What does the text mean to you? I don't know if how many of you heard this. Uh, kind of affirmation. What does this text mean to you? How does uh, then this interpretive journey that we're talking about today provide a corrective to this question? How would you structure a Bible study that is shaped by a correct interpretation of the Bible? So, um, and you hear people saying, well, the Bible, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Um, which, to a certain extent, we can agree. Um, when you think about the person's interpretation, how does your knowledge of Scripture will help someone to understand? Well, you have to understand Scripture. Um, yes, there are things that, by faith, we can't explain, we cannot explain, um, but our service to God is a a rational service. It involves our mind and heart. So we need to understand it. Or uh, you have a new believer, someone that just came to Christ, and with excitement, your friend immediately begins to read the Bible. Soon enough, I remember my dad, uh, when he started, he was so eager when he came to Christ to be reading Scripture. To this day, he is. Uh, but I had so many questions about the Old Testament. Like, what does this mean? Like, what is, what is this about? So how does your knowledge of this journey of interpretation helps you to answer people's questions and concerns? Thank you. Uh, well, the Bible can be made to mean anything, some people say. Anything you want, it could mean. Or you can't really understand the Bible. It is full of contradictions. Um, no one can understand the true meaning of anyone, what anyone says. Or the affirmations, this is what the Bible means to me. All of these are about the principles of biblical interpretation are called 
what we call hermeneutics. So it uh, came from a Greek word there. I have in your notes, hermeneia, which basically means translation. It means translation or interpretation. So 1 Corinthians 12.10, Paul uses that word there. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. He says, And to another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, and to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. And the word interpretation there is um, that uh, word hermeneia, the translation or the interpretation of what was being said. In Acts 14.12, if you're familiar with some of Paul's missionary journeys, you remember that uh, the people at the city of Lystra believed that Paul to be the Greek god Hermes. So that's, that word Hermes is related to, to hermeneia. And Barnabas to be the, the god Zeus because the apostle Paul was the one leading in the speaking. Remember that he says that? That they thought that Paul was a god because he was leading in the speaking. So over in Greek mythology, Hermes was a spokesman of Zeus and so was his interpreter or translator. Now, over time, the Greek word came to be used to refer especially to the principles or rules of interpretation when, you, when used, used when studying a text. So I'm going to say this, this again, if you want to take notes on the kind of definition. What does it mean, hermeneutics? What is that word about? It refers to the principles or rules of interpretation when uh, interpretation used when studying a text. These principles now um, can be linked to the tools that we're going to get started today. So we have a few, um, what we call, you know, in our textbook, The Interpretive Journey, it is five steps of interpretation. So we're going to break it down, you know, the whole, until the end of the year, each one of those principles, each time we're going to go a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper. So I'm going to assign a passage at the end of today that you're going to start studying. And then for each of these steps, we're going to go further and further. All right, so today it's kind of like a summary of what we're touching, all these principles, so the, the broad picture of it. But before I get there, um, to help you understand or to get you, you thinking about this, what, why is so important that you interpret scripture in its context and its correct way. Well, because people can get um, really sidetracked. sidetracked. Um, I have a video here from, uh, it's a show, I never watched it. <laughs> uh, but I think it, um, it conveys that discussion. They're gonna be talking about the Bible here. Now, caveat, there's one bad word there, uh, uh, just want to give you a warning. I, you know, it's quick, but hopefully we're not endorsing it. All right. <laughs> Thank you very much. 
Thanks a lot. I wish I could spend more than a few minutes with you, but the polls don't close in the East for another hour, and there are plenty of election results still left to falsify. <laughs> you know, with so many people participating in the political and social debate through call-in shows, it's a good idea to be reminded every once in a while. <clears throat> it's a good idea to be reminded of the awesome impact the awesome impact. I'm sorry, uh, you're Dr. Jenna Jacobs, right? Yes, sir. It's good to have you here. Thank you. The awesome impact of the airwaves and how that translates into the furthering of our national discussions, but obviously also how it can, how it can, forgive me, Dr. Jacobs. Are you an M.D.? A Ph.D. A Ph.D.? Yes, sir. In psychology? No, sir. Theology? No. Social work? I have a Ph.D. in English literature. I'm asking because on your show people call in for advice and you go by the name Dr. Jacobs on your show and I didn't know if maybe your listeners were confused by that and assumed you had advanced training in psychology, theology, or healthcare. I don't believe they are confused, no, sir. Good. I like your show. I like how you call homosexuality an abomination. I don't say homosexuality is an abomination, Mr. President. The Bible does. Yes, it does. Leviticus. 18.22. Chapter and verse. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions while I had you here. I'm interested in selling my youngest daughter into slavery, as sanctioned in Exodus 21.7. She's a Georgetown sophomore, speaks fluent Italian, always cleared the table when it was her turn. What would a good price for her be? While thinking about that, can I ask another? My chief of staff, Leo McGarry, insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35.2 clearly says he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself, or is it okay to call the police? Here's one that's really important, because we've got a lot of sports fans in this town. Touching the skin of a dead pig makes one unclean. Leviticus 11.7. If they promise to wear gloves, can the Washington Redskins still play football? Can Notre Dame? Can West Point? Does the whole town really have to be together to stone my brother John for planting different crops side by side? Can I burn my mother in a small family gathering for wearing garments made from two different threads? Think about those questions, would you? One last thing. While you may be mistaking this for your monthly meeting of the ignorant club, in this building, when the president stands, nobody sits. Toby. Yes, Mr. President. That's how I beat him. So we're all uh, familiar with some of these texts, and it, it is hard. How does that apply to us? Uh, and then we have people that have been using, um, picking and choosing which scriptures they use to mean anything they want. So here's an example. Um, Philippians 4.13. It's an intuitive principle. Oh, I'm reading this, and I think this is what, what it means. So Philippians 4.13, well known. Who has it memorized? You can say it out loud there. Hmm? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
And so they say, you know, I can play soccer and be a great player. I can do, um, I can pass all my exams <laughs> through Christ who strengthens me. What is really the context of that passage? Is it, is it really giving a promise to everyone to Christ will, will strengthen them in every, every way? Probably not. Um, another one, and I, I remember receiving cards, and, you know, it, it's a well-known one, Jeremiah 29, 11. Um, you probably will see a lot of signs at Hobby Lobby or different <laughs> places with this, this verse there. Um, it is, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of, for welfare and not of calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Oh, God has plans to give me a future and a hope. And, you know, here, here's the guy thinking, oh, he's going to grant me a wife. He's going to grant me, you know, a really nice job. I mean, can God bless us in those ways? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. But this passage is not referring to us New Testament believers. It was a specific promise here for the people of Israel that were um, being called out in their sin and that yet the Lord were going to, was going to discipline them. He also would restore them. So, or we can have um, a shrug your shoulder and ignore the passage um, approach to interpretation. You know, I don't understand it, so I, I just don't care. Texts often cause students to fall into one of these pits, either an intuitive approach or a spiritualizing approach. And that doesn't um, help us uh, to grasp the meaning and even to apply scripture and how to live it out. If I don't understand it correctly, um, and think about even biblical counseling, how many times um, you read a book and you see a lot of text being used out of its context, so what we call proof texting. So someone has something interesting to say, and they're trying to find support for that, and then they go to the Bible to, to, to quote that passage. Um, that is not the approach for us to interpret scriptures. So a survey of scripture reveals a plethora of exhortations and warnings and examples to remind us the need to interpret the word correctly. And some of these are in Ezra. Um, so I think we've read this text before. Um, Ezra 7, and today I got the right <laughs> one. So Ezra 7, verse 10. It says that for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances. So we, we're reading here that one, he studied, he applied his heart to his scripture, and then that he taught the word. And I want you to notice here, even looking back to verse 9, um, notice the divine blessing on Ezra because he was applying his heart to understand the scripture. 
Verse 9, for on the first day, on the first of the first month, he began to go up to Babylon. On the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem because the good hand of his God was upon him. And he applied his heart to understand scripture. So there is blessing for us as we interpret scripture correctly and apply it correctly. Another one describing Ezra, and this one is a little bit more detailed, it's in Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. And we're looking at verses 1 through uh, 12. So it says, All the people were gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could listen with understanding. And he read it, he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate in the early morning until midday. And talk about uh, Bible reading time. And in the presence of men and women and those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So we see here Ezra showing the word of God and bringing the explanation. He brought the law before the whole assembly, before the people of God. And he opened the book in the sight of all people. This, these are not my words. These are God's words, and these are the ones that I'm reading it here. Um, the people clearly saw it was from the word of God that Ezra would speak not from his own experiences or opinions. Ezra revered the word. He stood with the law of God. Um, in verse 5, he says that um, above all the people, and as he opened it all, the people stood, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. There is a reverential response to that reading of Scripture. Ezra read the Word. He read the law of God from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra explained the Word. He and the other Levites, in verse 7 here we read, um, also Joshua uh, and Benai and Sherebiah and Jamin and Achab, uh, Shebathai, Hodiah, Maseah, Kalida, Azariah, Josadab, Hanan, Peliah, the Lev- and the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. So there was not just the reading, but there was an explanation of what was being said. Um, understanding was the ultimate purpose of reading God's word. The scriptures, so um, to, they, they would read and explain the scriptures so that people would have understanding of the meaning of the text. So note the purpose of this approach in verse 8. Why did Ezra do that? They read from the book, from the law of God, 
translating, translating or interpreting to give the sense so that they understood the reading. So God revealed himself to us through human words, through our ability to communicate, through experiences that we have with work and with relationships in a way that we can understand and can apply uh, those things to ourselves. So um, it, is, it is not some obscure, far-fetched thing out there. It is something clear. We just need to study and apply our hearts to understand it. Um, I also want you to notice the result of this approach in verse 12. The second half of verse 12 here. All the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions and to celebrate the great festival because they understood the words which would, has been made known to them. They were so excited with what they learned, they, they wanted to celebrate. Um, and it, it is, I remember my first years of seminary, uh, studying Hebrew and Greek, and boy, was it exciting. To, to, to know more and to understand more things that I didn't see before. We had to read each book twice. Um, here's Michael. He can attest to that. You had to read each book twice, and you familiarize yourself with the scripture. And it, it was exciting. It was an exciting journey. Uh, the example of the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember that Philip comes and um, to, the Spirit brings him to Samaria later, um, but he finds this Ethiopian on a, on a carriage, and he's following him, and he, he listens to that eunuch reading out aloud the Word of God, um, and so Philip takes opportunity and says, do you understand what you're reading? Um, and he's like, well, actually, no. And the matter of fact is, I have questions. <laughs> Who is he talking about here? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? I'm like, yes, he's talking about someone else. And let me tell you who he is. And, you know, and then he understands the scripture, believes it, and is saved. Another example is the command. We've been studying through 1 Timothy, but here is 2 Timothy. Um, Paul giving instructions to his disciple. Second um, Timothy two verse fifteen. Um, the Awana kids probably have this verse memorized through and through. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. And the second part there that is a one of bring emphasis to is accurately handling the word of truth. Accurately handling the word of truth. We need to know exactly, okay, where, where each thing go here on this, in this text? What are, what are the process, what are the steps for me to finally grasp uh, what it means? Because we have people, as I said, proof texting. And as you hear false teaching, it, it, it should, tingle, should bother you. Like, that doesn't sound right. You know, that, you know, if you read the verses before, that's not what it's saying at all. But because they take it out of context, they're um, 
leave leave a margin for errors in interpretation. Peter warned um, people about um, misinterpreting or misapplying scripture. Second Peter three. Second Peter three, and we're looking at verses uh, fourteen to eighteen. He's instructing these uh, believers that were dispersed, and he says. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as you also, am I in the right one? Yes. Um, just as also our beloved, beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. As also in all of his letters, speaking in them of these things, which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort. Now I think about what all the scriptures that Paul has written so far, and it was circulating in the church, in the, the first century church. They were making copies of those um, autographs from the originals, and they were passing it along. And some people were picking up those texts and distorting it and twisting it. Um, we had Paul's teaching on the resurrection, and they twisted it. What Paul's teaching on eschatology, and they twisted it for a lack of understanding. He calls them as untaught and stable, unstable. And they do this also with the rest of scriptures. It's not just Paul's writings, but it is the other writings. To their own destruction, they do this. And you, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by error of unprincipled man and fall from your steadfastness. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. What an exhortation for us to apply our hearts, to understand and not twist it and not to use it. Or um, I even started using this word, not a, a, a biblical word, to weaponize the scripture. Um, many times I'm counseling people and they know their Bibles, but they use their Bibles for their advantage um, and to manipulate others to get what they want. Um, so we need to be warned to take it seriously. I want to know what it says and what it says to me, um, first and foremost, and how I ought to live to please the Lord. And then um, another thing, another passage here, is Paul clarifying. See that people were twisting Paul's teaching, or there was not a very good understanding in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 5, 9, and 13. Paul had written a letter previously to, to the church of Corinth. And this is um, a letter that was written after that. Well, we don't have um, that, that letter. It was not inspired, and it was not part of the canon but Paul is saying, you know, I wrote to you these things, and this is not what I meant. This is what I, what I actually meant. 
So the author, the person who is writing the book, is the one who determines its meaning. So chapter uh, 5, verse 9, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Now, that was his statement. You should not associate with immoral people. And he said, but I did not mean at all with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or the swindlers or the idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. It is not possible for you to not have any interactions with immoral people because you're in a world and there is immoral people out there and you're going to be in contact with them. If that was the case, the gospel would never go out. We would never bring the gospel to anyone. But then he says... Um, for what I have to do, what I have to do with judging outsiders, do you not judge those who are within the church, but those who are outside? God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So, Paul's point with do not associate with more people is those who are claiming to be believers, but they are holding to a standard that is not um, godly, and so. Uh, I think this is a perfect illustration of authorial intent. I mean, just imagine if you wrote a letter to someone and they dissect your letter and they're looking at all your words and they're trying to get the meaning of that and they totally twist what you try to convey. Like, that's not at all what I, you know, we always, we, I think we all have examples of miscommunication through emails or uh, other forms of communication. Like, well, that was not actually what I meant. This is what I said, but this is what I meant, not um, the other way around. So the process of interpreting and applying the Bible um, in our study today is going to become a compared to a journey. Uh, reading the text thoroughly and carefully lies at the beginning of this journey. From this careful reading, we become able to determine what passage, what the passage meant in the biblical context, that is, what it meant to the biblical audience. Um, now, what are the challenges that we face in our generation with reading Scripture? What are some things that come to mind? We think, okay, this makes it really hard for our generation to study scripture. I'll send a question to ask you. What, what do you think, Daniel? Mm, so they just don't want to submit to it. I just want to do whatever I want to do. Yeah, so rebelliousness. Don't want to. What else? Jenny? Mm-hmm. Yep, we are in a generation where everything is to one click, right? And we can watch and um, see things. And nothing wrong with that means of communication. But um, we're just so used to that, that, oh, I don't like reading. I'd rather watch a movie than to read a book. Had your mind, then I'll go, Andrew. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 
So uh, we, we read some of the King James Version here, some verses, and it was like, well, I don't know what they're talking about. Um, it, it's, it's very common. Um, I, I be- firmly believe that's the only translation of the Bible that is correct, but they can't understand it. I remember the example I gave you of a counselee that held to the King James Version really tightly, and I'm, I would ask him to read, and I said, well, what do you understand of it? We're like, I don't really know what he's talking about here. <laughs> I, I'm not familiar with these words. Like, well, how about you try a new King James where, you know, there's a, a you know, more updated translation, uh, still consistent with the King James text, but, yeah, very good example, Jeremiah. I think sometimes there is a, a, a place even of complacency for us to be okay with what we already know. This is, you know, how much I already know scripture, and we don't go in depth, and we don't try to learn something new. It, it is a temptation for all of us, but we have not achieved. The Apostle Paul, even in his own lifetime, he said, I have not achieved it. So I, I follow, I move forward. I'm going to try to go one next step in my understanding of Scripture. One, uh, one thing to be deeper on his, uh, in his word. Often, however, when we try to apply this meaning directly to ourselves, we run into problems. Uh, we are separated from the biblical audience by culture and customs, language and situation, and a vast um, expanse of time. This is on page 14 of our textbook there. <coughs> Hopefully the electronic version that I have matches your physical one. So if, there were not, if that was not enough, the Old Testament widens this river by adding another major interpretive barrier that separates us from the original audience. Between the Old Testament biblical audience and the Christian readers today lies a change in, in covenant. But we're no longer in the Old Covenant. We're under the New Covenant as New Testament believers. So the Old Testament people, however, were under the Old Covenant, and for them, the law was central. In other words, the theological situation for the two groups is different And there is a covenant barrier between the Old Testament audience and us because we are under different covenants. Simple as this principle is. But if you have talked to charismatics or people that believe on the uh, prosperity gospel, um, name and claim it, it's yours. Uh, Whatever you you set, in the quoting scripture, you set the foot of your feet, that's going to belong to you. They have weird things, people walking and <laughs> around someone's house or trying to reproduce those things, saying, I, I, I'm going to have it. Well, that was very specific for the people of Israel. At their time, they were given a piece of land that the Lord said, multiply here and, and settle here. We are not the people of Israel. So... Uh, Thus, this river between the Old Testament text and us consists not only of culture, language, situation, and time, but also of covenant. I think about um, 
languages. You know, sometimes I say some words here that you guys are probably scratching your head like and don't know what he means. <laughs> it's because I'm thinking Portuguese on, on that specific term. And the other way around, sometimes when I'm preaching in Portuguese and I probably say something in English, an expression in English, they're like, what is he talking about? So there is that barrier from the original Hebrew to the English translation, from the, um, from the Greek to our English translation. So language, situation, time, but also covenant. We have a lot in common with the New Covenant people, with the New Testament audience. And yet, even in the New Testament, the different culture, language, and specific situations can present a formidable barrier to grasping the meaning of the text. The river is often too deep and too wide simply to wade across. As a result, today's Christians is often uncertain about how to interpret much of his Bible. How should we understand Leviticus 19.19, which prohibits wearing a garment made of two types of material? So if you look at most of your clothing, there's two types of material. Uh, Should we stop wearing and just wear things that are only one kind of material? Does this mean that obedient Christians should wear only 100% cotton clothes? Um, In Judges 6.37, Gideon puts out a fleece to confirm what God has told him. Does this mean that we should put out fleeces when we seek God's leading? I've seen a lot of people looking for signs. Talk to friends. Oh, just show me a sign. Should, Should I ask her out? Should I do this? Should I do that? Like, well, God's not going to tell you, buddy. Take courage. (laughs) (laughs) So passages in the New Testament are not always much clearer. As I said, you know, Peter walks on water in Matthew 14, 29. Should we then, um, does that mean that we should attempt to walk on water in our obedience to Christ? Or, you know, I... It was something dangerous, you know, it was something that is not normal. So I can try to do things that are dangerous because I have faith in Christ. Not, not really. Um, any attempt to interpret and apply the Bible involves trying to cross the river of differences. While often unconscious of their interpretive method, many Christians today nonetheless frequently employ an intuitive or feels right approach to interpretation. If the text looks as if it could be applied directly, then they attempt to apply it directly. If not, then they take a spiritualizing approach to the meaning, an approach that borders on allegorizing the Bible text, the biblical text, which shows little or no sensitivity to the biblical context. Um, Solomon wrote um, songs, some songs, some love songs to his wife. And, and there are some parts that she probably told, dictated him. Or, and he made that whole book to talk about the intimacy in marriage. Well, even in the first century, there were believers that were reading that book and saying, no, this is not really talking about a husband and wife. It's talking about Christ and the church. 
and if you know, I can only imagine for these brothers in the first century that believed that to come to heaven and talk to to Solomon's like you were you're so off on this. <laughs> you're, there was nothing to do with Christ and the church. It was a literal husband and wife singing to each other. So, but it, there are those extremes and those uh, dangers that we can fall into. Such approaches will never land us safely on the other side of the river. Those using the intuitive approach blindly wade out into the river, hoping that the water is not much than knees deep. Sometimes they are fortunate and stumble on a sandbar, but often they step out into the deep water and they end up washed ashore somewhere downstream. I mean, we, we had some difficult passages in First Samuel, even in our study here, that we're just scratching our heads and thinking, like, what is God endorsing this? This is wrong. Why, why is he telling this and we didn't hear anything? Like with the killing of the priests in Nob that we studied the other day. The Lord didn't make any, any affirmations on that, that behavior that Saul did. It was wrong before him. But remember, there was also a fulfilling of the prophecy made by um, Samuel and some other prophet that we don't know um, his name, about the family of Eli. So those priests were descendants, and that prophecy was fulfilled there in the killing of those uh, prophets on those uh, priests. Obviously, that doesn't uh, exclude the obligation that uh, Saul had before the Lord to care for his people and not to kill them. So... It is hard to try to jump off of this river of, that separates us from the original audience. Uh, many Christians are admittedly uncomfortable with such approaches, recognizing that somewhat random methodology, the extreme subjectivity involved, but they continue to use it because it is only the only method they know. And here's the question, how do we move from the word of the biblical audience from the world of today? That is really what our journey is all about, is getting out of the original audience, or he says here's as a little town, to today. What does it mean for today? What is the thing that bridges the separation of culture, language, and the situation in the covenant? What, what is the one thing that can transpose that is this, the principle behind that? That's what we're really trying to do here is to get to that meaning that is determined by the author, that is not determined by what we think it is. So that's why sometimes you, you have really strong believers that hold dearly to certain interpretations. Well, they, I, I don't believe the rapture. I don't think this is a literal thing. Well, do you believe that um, God created the world in six days? Oh, yeah, 100%. Do you believe that God um, sent Jesus and that he died and he, was, he rose again on the third day? Yes, I believe that 100%. It was literal. I believe those as historical facts. Well, so why then it's not literal when the Bible is talking about the future events? 
what, what is your guidance for interpreting one way and then with this text you interpret in another? We need a consistent mode of interpretation. So this journey works on the premise that the Bible is a record of God's communication himself and his will to us. Um, this is on page 16. This journey works on the premise that the Bible is a record of God's communication of himself and his will to us. We revere the Bible and treat it as holy because it is the word of God and because God reveals himself to us through his word. Many texts in the Bible are specific and concrete and revelatory expressions of a broader universal realities or theological principles. So uh, let me skip ahead here, and I will briefly just mention these, the, the, the steps here. We're going to pick it up next week uh, from where we left off here. But there's these three, uh, these five major steps here, and then I put the headings there for you, okay? Step one, grasping the text in their own town. In this step, the reader answers the question, what did the text mean to the biblical audience? For the people that was written to, what was the intention of the author in writing that? What was the intention of some of the Psalms where David is relating of a, a suffering? Uh, what is the intention of um, the prophet Jeremiah? when he wrote that? What did, it, what did it mean for the people of Israel and the people of Judah living in Egypt? What was, what was the, what, what it meant to them? So human authors had a, specific, had a specific historical audience, context, and purpose. They also had their own language, their own writing methods. The divine authorship of the Bible gives it unity, and the ultimate interpretation is from God. So the first step is to, to understand the text on its own context, on its own uh, merits. The second step is measuring the width. So it's step two here, the width of this river that they're illustrating here as, um, that separate the original audience to, uh, from us. So the question that we're trying to answer here is, what are the differences between the biblical audience and us? The primary differences between the original recipients and the modern reader are cultural, linguistic, situational, covenantal. These differences create a river which prevent the modern reader from moving directly from the meaning to application. And as the reader attempts to determine the width of the river, they must make note of the significant difference between the biblical audience and today's audience. So actually, I had these more detailed there, step by step. So now on the third step, there is this crossing the principalizing bridge. Um, and I think this is a made-up word that he came up with, not a real word. But... Um, in this step, the reader must answer the question, what is the theological principle in this text? Is it, important to it is important to remember that, that the answer to the this question should be reflected in the meaning that was identified in, chap in, in the first one. So um, 
whatever your understanding and your meaning is, if you were to tell back to Moses, Moses, this is, this is what I, how I understand this text. And like, that, that's not what at, all, at all what I meant. Well, so it's probably off. If that wouldn't make any sense, even though we're separated by all these, these barriers, if it wouldn't, your interpretation wouldn't make sense for the original audience, it's probably not uh, correct. So next, the reader must recognize any similarities between the biblical and modern audiences. There are similarities, and that's where that bridge comes in. It's because what, what do we have in common with, with that people and with that ear that was written? The theological principle is the principalizing bridge that allows us to cross the river of the differences. The principle should be reflected in the text. The principle should be timeless. It is true for all people. And this principle should be not culturally bound. It's not just for the people in Corinth that were first facing persecution. You know, we have a passage where Paul is saying not to get married because of the present distress. There was intense persecution happening in Corinth. And, and and Paul said, you know, to, in order to avoid, you know, you, you're losing a spouse. This is kind of a painful thing to happen. I don't want you to get married. Are we facing intense persecution here in the United States of America at this present year? No, we're not. So that really doesn't apply to us in that sense. Now, Paul is saying that there is a matter of wisdom here. If you can be married and, can, and, and you want to be married, you should be married. But this is a preference. This is something that I'm giving you as an instruction, as a guidance. So, all right. Fourth, uh, actually, within this one, there is what we call the circles of literary context. Um, it's consulting the biblical map. Right? It is looking for these principles here that um, overlap with today's audience. That's the ones that I just read. So the step four is consult the biblical map. How does our theological principle fit with the rest of the Bible? So we're looking at here for the general context. So you, you read a, a chapter. What does the chapter before that says? What does the chapter after that says? Maybe it will help you understand better that passage. And then you look at the whole book of, of Scripture, so the different... Uh, circles here is um, you have the verse, you have the immediate context there, you have the paragraph or the larger section and the entire book, and then you know we have several letters written by Paul. Well, this one is not as clear here, but this other letter kind of clarifies this word choice that he made. So you want to compare what the author said as a larger uh, setting. And then the entire Bible, does this interpretation agrees with Scripture in general? And, uh, and so on. And then lastly, the last uh, is the grasping the text in your own town. In this step, the reader must answer the question, how should individual Christians today live out the theological principles? In this step, the theological principle is applied to a specific situation 
that is faced by contemporary Christians. A passage can be applied in numerous ways. So there is, and I liked how they did the several streets, right? So you, you look at the map here, you see where you are. After you have crossed this bridge, now there's multiple ways of you applying it. There is one meaning, there is one principle. You know, the Bible says, husbands love your wife, for example. Um, I can, how can I apply that? Well, I can love my wife by caring for her, for, by um, helping her out with the dishes, or cooking, or helping with the kids. Is that the only way that you can love your wife? No, you can love your wife by telling her that you love her, showing your appreciation, by giving uh, um, affection. You know, so there are all these different streets here that you can go in, but there is the common thread of the principle that um, connects the original audience to where we are. All right, so this is what we had for today. Um, the assignment for this week, because uh, we're, we're trying to get um, broad picture, right? The passage that I want you to study, this I had to do this for seminary, so I'm going to give it to you, is uh, the letter of 3 John. It's a short, short little book. And the assignment for next week is I want you to just read the text. You don't have to look at Bible, um, you know, the original language. If you know Greek or you don't necessarily have to go there. It's just doing a reading, maybe read multiple times, five times, and try to understand what, what is happening here. And then you're going to have to write 20 observations on this text, okay? 20 observations. What, what is an observation? It's you're basically stating what the text is saying with different words um, or when a sentence in a paragraph. So the more you read it, the more you're like, oh, okay, he's... And then it could be a question. So, for instance, here, chapter, uh, verse 2. Beloved, I pray that in all respects that you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. Was he, what is he talking about here? Is he talking about uh, health, physical health only? Or it seems that there's, there's a spiritual health because he's talking about soul. So uh, Paul, and so the way that you can summarize this is Paul is sharing his prayer, prayers for um, Gaius, this guy, um, that just as he is healthy, Physically, he would also be healthy spiritually. All right, so does that make sense? So just simple observations, not looking for anything, you know, unique, but whatever you can get there from the context. Uh, what, what, what does this say about the people that he wrote? Who was the people that he wrote to? Uh, who, is refer- who is referring to? Or other peoples are mentioned. All right, so this is, this is the assignment. We'll pick it up next week, and we'll discuss um, your observations, all right? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your word that is clear um, and that is um, 
They're principles, they're concepts that can be grasped. Lord, even with figurative language and different resources that you have used to communicate to us, you did not leave us in obscurity. Uh, whatever you wanted us to know, you have revealed in your word. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to build up on our understanding um, of what we believed. And moving forward, Lord, I just pray that you would give us the perseverance to spend time in your word and keep us from being um, complacent and, and um, just feeling that we have achieved. Oh, Lord, just humble us and help us to acknowledge that we know little and we need to know more of you. I pray that you'll be with each one here um, as prepare our hearts also for our worship service. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, as we went over time, I'm just going to get your assignments and